Hello everyone and uh, welcome to another Midland Men Cap podcast um, with me Tom and uh, Jane Hatton. So if Jane, if you would like to introduce yourself to our viewers. Thanks Tom, yeah, delighted to be here. So I'm Jane Hatton and I run Evenbreak, which is a social enterprise run by and for disabled people and helping disabled people get into work, but more importantly, helping employers to access all of the talent that we represent. Which is a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because it means more help for disabled people in getting a light on them. Well, absolutely. And I think the way we look at it is it's, you know, there's a huge gap between the employment rates of non-disabled people mm. and disabled people. And that's a shame for disabled people who aren't allowed yeah. to have opportunities in the workplace. But it's a bigger shame for the employers who aren't accessing all of that talent. Mm. Some employers look at employing disabled people as though it's a charitable thing to do or they do it out of pity, but actually it isn't about that at all. It's no. about talent and, you know, 20% of the working population, eight people of working population age, um, consider themselves to be disabled or have long-term health conditions. That's a fifth of the talent that organisations are missing out and on. It doesn't make sense. And it's a shame because there shouldn't really be a gap between people who have disabilities and people that don't. There, there shouldn't be a gap at all, should there? No, absolutely. Everyone should be seen as equal. Yeah, and, and everybody has talents and everybody has something to offer. Mm. And I think until employers start looking at disabled people as a pool of talent rather than, oh, they're going to be a problem, you know, mm. we're never going to get that gap no. you know, reduced to nothing. Um, so, um, so, could you tell us a little bit about your work at Even Break Teeth? Yeah, so we're all disabled ourselves, as I mentioned. Um, mm -hmm. We work all over the country, the whole of the UK, and we, we have a, a, um, a specialist online job board um, just for disabled candidates. Mm -hmm. And then we work with employers who are enlightened enough to understand they should be employing this pool of people. So we work with um, some amazing organisations like um, Midland Mencap, um, like Channel 4, like Lloyd's Banking Group, John Lewis, um, Unilever, you know, a very diverse range okay. of employers. And what they can do is advertise their vacancies and then the pool of talent that we've attracted, the disabled candidates, can then have confidence to apply for those jobs because mm. they can see that if an employer has paid to advertise on a job board that's just for disabled candidates, it's safe for them to apply and mm. they really are going to be treated seriously as, uh, as talent. So that's part of the work we do. What we also do is we try and help employers to become, well, A, to understand why they should employ more disabled people, but also mm. for them to become more accessible and inclusive in things like recruitment processes and employment practices. Okay. Um, so how important is it for employers to attract disabled applicants for their jobs? It's absolutely crucial for so, so many reasons. So disabled people, on average, are just as productive as mm. non-disabled people. We have significantly less time off sick, on average. Um, we bring with us a whole raft of skills that we've had to acquire because we're disabled. The whole mm. point of, the, of being disabled means that we face barriers that other people don't face. Like and hidden disabilities, isn't it? Because yeah. sometimes 
when you're disabled, like a hidden disability, it's not always seen, it's hidden, yeah. so it makes it more harder. Yeah, and, and somebody can see somebody in a wheelchair and think, oh, they need ramps or whatever they might think that they need. Mm. But you look at someone, you don't know if they're autistic or they're dyslexic or nope. they're diabetic or, you know, anything else. And because as disabled people, we face these barriers every day of our life. We have to become resilient and yep. we have to become problem solvers. We have to become creative. And strong. Yeah, all of those things. And as an employer, why wouldn't you want to employ somebody yeah. with all of those skills? Um, what are the, which goes into, what are the main barriers facing disabled job applicants? There are so many. I think mm. they, they boil down into two main areas. And the first one, I think, is the perception. The biggest one is the mm. perception of employers. And mm. we still see employers who talk about, oh, yes, it's a shame for disabled people. We ought to employ them. And I'm saying, no, no, it's not about that. It's about talent. And I think until employers start seeing disabled people as a rich pool of talent, you know, the, the other barriers won't disappear. But the other mm. barriers are things like... Um, inaccessible recruitment processes, mm. inaccessible websites, information that's yeah, unaccessible. That, that, I have to say, that is one of the things that I've struggled with in that when I went to the job centre in the past, they just said to me, oh, here you go, here's your signing book and find a hundred or so online. And it's like, how... how you know, where'd you start? Where'd you start? Yeah. You know, that it's it's almost like they think that because you've got a disability that you're able to just cope on your own and just go online and just apply. But it, it's not as easy as that because, you know, by just applying online, they're not seeing your potential. They're just they're just reading. They're just reading what you've sent and just. They will, it's almost like you're trying to sell yourself online um, and it's just really hard yeah. because you just feel, you. I felt judged because you don't know what they're looking for or whether you're right, the right person. It's just, it's really hard. And I think also that traditional recruitment process rely on things like CVs. So if you're a disabled person and you've been discriminated against in the past, your work experience isn't going to be that great. Mm, nope. doesn't mean you're not good at the job. It means you've been discriminated against. Mm. So if we're looking at CVs, that immediately discounts or discriminates against disabled people. But also everybody uses interviews and not everybody's good at interviews. Nope. You know, actually all an interview does is show the employer who's good at blagging at interviews. It doesn't show them who's going to be the best person nope. for the job. So, you know, I would say to an employer... Don't rely on CVs and interviews. That's not going to get you the best candidates. You're going to get people who are good at blagging, but that's mm. not necessarily the kind of person you want to You employ. need to give them a chance, you know. Um, you know, give them, give them a bit of training. See, see whether, they, whether they like it or not. And then if they like it, they can say, oh, you've had a go at this. Do you like it? There's a, an option available. What, what do you think? And then at least that way, that they've softened them in rather than straight away telling them all, no, sorry, we, d we don't want you, you know, that there's the right way and wrong way of yeah. getting people in. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think, you know, an interview or a recruitment process should be a two-way thing. It's not just about the organisation deciding if they want to employ you as a candidate. As a candidate, you have to make a decision about 
do I want to work for this organisation? Does it share my values? Will mm. it support me? Will I be able to thrive here? Will I have career progression opportunities? All of those things are important as well. No, I absolutely agree. And I think um, the main important thing is trust. You have to you have to trust that they will look after you and you know you have to trust your instincts if you feel like they're not going to look after you in the way that an employer should then then it's not right for you no and i think that's the reason one of the reasons why there's such a big gap because i think a lot of disabled people you know, myself included, you can't look at an organisation always and tell whether it's an organisation you can trust. Mm. So, um, and we've all had the history of being discriminated against for, you know, reasons that have got nothing to do with our ability to do the job. Mm. So you end up in a position where you just don't apply for jobs anymore. And, and you know, yep. we say to employers, you have to work a lot harder to attract disabled candidates and give them that confidence that they can trust you that they will be you know they're interested in your talent and if you have any particular support needs of course they'll meet them because they want to access your talent yep um what are the um top tips for employers to consider in removing barriers to employment there's so many again of those i think one is about where you advertise so if you advertise in the same places you're going to mm. get the same kind of candidates so I think they need to work a bit harder in terms of um, using maybe specialist job boards or advertising in um, disability journals, um, just to make it very, very clear, very, very obvious that they are interested in this pool of talent. Um, so it's where you advertise, it's how you describe the job, it's is your website accessible, because if you can't read the job because mm. it's on an inaccessible website, then no one's going to apply. Um, and how inclusive and accessible is your recruitment process. So again, if it just relies on you've got to have a first from this particular mm. university, that's going to exclude a lot of people. Mm. So it's about looking at where you advertise, how you advertise, what you're looking for, how you make sure that disabled candidates feel safe to apply, um, all of those things, I think. And also, it's about using links as well. You know, like if you, if you think that you know a lot of people are using this service, then you can go, oh, a lot of people might use this service, a lot might, a lot of people might come in and go, oh, what leaflet is out today? You know, even something as simple as a leaflet that, that attracts people and says, oh, if this is what you like, then this could be for you. You know, yeah. you have to go out there and, and push a button to say, oh, we really think that this could work. Uh, definitely. I mean, if you're just expecting people to apply for no reason, they're not going to. You need to give no. them a reason to apply. And, uh, you know, it's much more. People talk about skill shortages, and I just think employers need to be reaching out to maybe communities they've not reached out to before. Um, do you think the current education system does enough to prepare people with disabilities to access work after graduation? Do you know, it, it varies on the school. Um, I'm very much a proponent of inclusive education where every child who can attends a mainstream school but, but within that then have all the support that they might need. Mm -hmm. But I do think that there are, um, for some young people, a mainstream school is never going to work and mm -hmm. so there needs to be, you know, there isn't a one-size-fits-all. So I do think there needs to be provision for every child and, you know, a big secondary school with 2,000 pupils milling around isn't going to necessarily suit someone who is very autistic, for mm. example. 
So there are, I think, there is an argument for separate education for some, you know, a small number of pupils. But mm. I think for for most disabled young people, then mainstream education should be broadened and given the support that people can. Yeah. But I'm not sure. I, I think still there's a there's this kind of patronising view that disabled young people haven't got much in terms of ambition or mm. aspiration um, or even a, a desire for a job and um, and that's so wrong and I just think that often we can limit people's um, aspirations by by sort of saying oh well you wouldn't be able to do this and you wouldn't be able to do mm. that and there's a lot of focus on what disabled people can't do and not enough focus on what actually people can do, especially with technology and things that's around today. That and really help. also, I think schools need more <coughs> awareness. Um, I know for me, when I was looking for my secondary school, um, straight away the head teacher said, oh, you're dyslexic, we don't know how to cope. Well, you should know how to cope because you should have staff trained in your school enabled to cope. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sorry, but end of, you know, if you're going to let a pupil with a learning disability into your school, you make sure that you've got staff who are trained in order to cope. And usually it's not that difficult. No. You know, there are lots of experts out there who can say, well, they might need this monitor or they might need printed material Mm. presented slightly differently. It's not difficult. I just think people need the will mm. to understand that not every child learns in the same way. Mm. You know, I think particularly with um, with autism, you know, autistic children tend to learn in a different way, but that doesn't mean yeah. they should be excluded from mainstream no. education. No. Unless they wouldn't cope in a mainstream school. I mean, thankfully, when I left, he did apologise to me. But to be honest, I didn't really want the apology. No, because, a bit late then, isn't it? Um, yeah, he, he shouldn't have really apologised at all because mm. I still maintain at the end of the day when when a parent is looking for a school for their kid, if that school hasn't got the right training, then don't go to it. Find yeah. a school that has the support staff willing to help that kid. Or even better make it mandatory that every school has that provision because a child can live anywhere in the country and if every school has that provision and that that capability to be able to meet needs it should be every school not mm. just not it, just you it know should, well, we'll pick that one or that one it should be mm, every school it should be every school that has the staff in enable to enable when new students come through the doors if they've got learning disability like you say Asperger's straight away yeah. yep I can help that kid yeah and then that that will make them feel secure. Yeah. And have the conversation with the pupil and their family about, you know, what is it that you need? Because obviously different people need different things. Mm. But to have that conversation and then actually make sure that you, you provide what that, that particular child needs. Because mm. it might not need A, it might need B. And, and it's just about making sure that each individual child has their particular needs met. Yeah. Whether they're disabled or not, actually. Yeah, that, that's like you say, you know, it doesn't matter whether they're disabled or not. It's about the staff having the training and the right the right measures to know how to help that kid. Yeah, definitely. Um, could, I, could you tell us about some best practice examples where employers have recruited disabled colleagues into their organisation and how they achieved that? Yeah, I mean, again, there are lots of examples. Um, being a bit sort of big-headed, I'd like to quote our own organisation, so okay. even break itself. Go ahead. Um, so we only employ disabled people. Mm. Um, and we now, our recruitment process doesn't use CVs and doesn't use interviews. Oh. Um, 
and and we started this last year and it it was an experiment it was new it was a Mm. bit risky um, but we tried it and it worked magnificently well so what we said in the advert to candidates was we don't care which university you went to we actually don't care whether you went to university or not Mm. we don't really care what your work experience is Mm. what we really care about is what are your strengths Mm. what are your skills and strengths that you can bring to this role and then we said and we want you to demonstrate those strengths in a way that suits you so it might not be interview it might Mm. be a telephone conversation it might be a video it might be um, some kind of work that you've done before, you know, it could be anything. And um, and we had a remarkable response from so many talented mm. people. And I was only trying to um, appoint two people, but I couldn't choose between two of them, so I, I took three on. Mm. And, um, and if you looked at their CV, you would say, well, I don't really know why you thought they'd be good at this job. Mm. And probably if I'd have been going on CVs alone, I wouldn't have taken those particular individuals mm. on. But mm. they are absolutely superb because they have what's needed to do that job. And a CV only tells you about what someone's done before, not, yeah. not about what they're capable no. of doing. And I think that's what employers forget, is that a CV only tells them their previous experience. It doesn't give them a full insight into how that person actually acts and how yeah. how they can cope yeah and all the all the things that they have so your cv mm. might might talk about you know various work related activities but they might not know that you're a gold medal winner hockey player <laughs> for example and yeah. i mean those things you know you've had to practice and work and train and you were telling me before about you had to raise money to fundraise to go for you know um, outfits and things you know that that brings with it a whole load of skills which can mm. be really exploited in the workplace that might not appear on a cv so it's no. actually about meeting the person um, and giving them the opportunity to really share what and and show you you know really shine and, and tell you what their strengths are and i, I think that's the thing in like you know we've you know this is my uh, I think third podcast now. Um, so to be given this opportunity now, um, it just shows that if you're given, if you're given something, you can you can do it. Yeah. I mean, I've never never done them before. Um, and you probably didn't know you could do them before you started doing no, them. It's about no. finding out your own strengths as well, isn't it? And, and yeah, an it employer is. giving you the opportunity to try new things and see what you're good at and what you enjoy. Yeah, uh, obviously I wouldn't do the technical side of it, no, but everything else, yeah. But there's always someone <laughs> I can, else who can do that. I can, <laughs> I can handle everything else. Um, what are... Oh, uh, Oh yes. What are the real benefits to an organisation in employing a disabled citizen that are often overlooked when recruiting for jobs? Yeah, again, there are so many. Um, I think for me, it's about having people from different backgrounds who've got different experiences, who can bring new ideas and they can maybe challenge what we're doing at the moment. One of the things that a lot of organisations suffer from is something called groupthink which is Mm. where you get a lot of people together in a room and they're all very similar and they all have the same ideas and they all agree with each other and nobody ever challenges. But if you get a group of people who are different and have different ways of thinking, different Mm. experiences, they can say, hang on a minute, would that work or should we be thinking about... And actually, if your organisation wants to succeed, 
you need people who have different ideas and creativity and innovation and challenging of the way we've always done things. So I think as an organisation, if you're not employing disabled people, you're really missing a huge trick in mm. terms of... And also how you engage with disabled people outside of the organisation, because as disabled customers... You know, disabled people and their families spend £250 billion a year in the mm. UK. That's a lot of money. And if you're an organisation who's savvy, you'll realise if you employ disabled people, you've got much more knowledge about how you can then um, attract and meet the needs of disabled customers. Mm. And, that, you know, yeah, that's a nice thing to do, but actually it's a commercially good decision to make as well. And I think it, it also gives the... It also gives the company joy, you know, it's like, you know, the experience that I've had in doing the voluntary jobs that I have done, It it's not about whether I get paid or not, it's the enjoyment on, on the looks of people's faces when you've spoken to them and, and they've greeted you and, and you go home at the end of the day thinking... Yeah, I've had a really nice day today because everyone's been so welcoming and that's what you need. You you need people to welcome you and say, oh, yeah, you know, you'll fit right in here. And that's what people want. They they want to feel needed and and feel like they're actually doing something worthwhile. Absolutely. It's not about being patronising, is it? It's about no. people feeling, you know, I'm able to use my skills here and I'm valued here and, and I can make a contribution and it's, it's valuable and people like it and it's so important. Um, does the media, particularly do particularly TV, do enough to, to promote the contribution of a disabled person in the workplace? Um, definitely not would be my first answer, but I think that we're doing a little bit better than we were. Mm. So if you look at Channel 4, for example, who started off with things like sponsoring the Paralympics and they had disabled presenters during the Paralympics, then that mm. sort of morphed into the Last Leg programme they do, um, which is now kind of mainstream, mm. you know. Um, oh, it's so funny. Yeah, I mean, it's great. And lots of people watch it, not just disabled people. Mm. So I, th I think it's getting better. Um, we don't have many disabled people portrayed as, like most of us are, ordinary people getting on with our lives. Mm. Um, we tend to be portrayed as either um, objects of pity mm -hmm. or um, benefit sheets mm. or Paralympians. And actually most of us are none of those things. Most no. of us are just, well, other than yourself, obviously, but most of us are just kind of going around, mm. you know, our daily business. But we're, we're finally getting occasionally disabled people appearing in soaps and the, and the, and the yeah. storyline isn't always about their impairment. Um, I particularly like the, I can't remember what the programme's called, that Liz Carr plays a role in, uh, Silent Witness, yeah. where yeah. her role isn't about her impairment, it's just she happens to be yeah. a forensic scientist yeah. who happens to be yeah. disabled. So I think those kinds of things are really, really good, but there are nowhere near enough of them. Most no. of the programmes, you don't see disability unless the disability is a core part of the storyline mm. mm. and actually that's artificial because in real life disabled people are doing all sorts of different things you know whether mm. it's sports or hobbies or works yeah. or working or jobs or whatever it might be and we're not portrayed in that way I don't think enough yet no I don't I think it's getting better but like you say it's got a long way to go you know it's like it's like channel 4 Hollyoaks you know they done they done something in the soap where it focused on 
Um, it focused on someone being mixed with other characters, and I think, I think sometimes when they do that for a split second, it shows people that when there are a bunch of different characters together, it's not about what their character is or whether they've got legs or not. It's about how they are as characters. Yeah, and, and the personalities think, and all of the rest of it, yeah. Um, and I think that's where they've been going wrong. Um, and I think I think also with Emmerdale, they recently hired a disabled actor and he got Beth Newcomer last, last year or this yeah. year. And, you know, we shouldn't... You know, he should have been on it ages ago, yeah. not not now. They should have they should have been looking for him ages ago mm. and giving him the chance now. It, do you know what I mean? Yeah, that, so we're that, going in the right direction, but it's a bit late and, mm. and we've still got a long way to go, definitely. Yeah. But I'm glad that that it's happening now rather yeah, than not at all. Slowly. And I think but I do think to be controversial, there are other films mm. which actually do us a lot of harm in terms of portraying the, the disabled person as someone who mm. needs looking after but has nothing to contribute themselves. And, mm. um, you know, one or two films I've watched and I thought, oh, I'm not sure that's really an accurate portrayal of a disabled person's life because it's always seen as a tragedy. Mm. I don't know about you, but my life certainly isn't a tragedy. <laughs> no, no. Um, but often it's seen as, you know, the worst thing that can possibly happen to you is becoming disabled. No, believe yeah. me, it isn't. <laughs> and, yeah, I don't know why. It's almost, it's almost like saying that um, being disabled is a nightmare. No, yeah. it's not a nightmare. It just means that we have to work that little bit harder to to get to get that far yeah and that's where um, the tragedy is it's not about someone being disabled no. it's about all the barriers that are in our way that that stop us from you know living a, a fulfilling life that that we should and for different people the barriers will be different but i think if we remove the barriers then mm. actually you know we'd all be able to live and a more i think that's life. what's so sad in that when my hockey team came back from our first tournament is that we had no English press sort of say, oh, these kids are amazing, they've never done it before. Mm. And, you know, we had a few people um, who were who would think, oh, these are kids, what are they doing? Yeah, we are kids, but, you know, we're doing something that we've never done before. And you, you know, give us you a bit of Give us a bit of credit. Yeah. And also that could have been really good for other children. Mm. You know, who are thinking, oh, I'd love to do sport, but I'm disabled, I'll never be able to do sport. But actually, if you can see role models, then you can think, actually, they can play hockey. I, I could play hockey too. Yeah. So it's not just about celebrating what you've done, it's mm. about giving those opportunities to everybody else and those yeah. aspirations to other people. But that's, that's the press's loss, really. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can't do anything about them. Um, in Birmingham, only about 1% of adults with a learning disability have a full-time job. Is there a message that needs to be sent out to employers, the council and other influences on how to change this? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we know there's a big disability employment gap for people with any impairment, but if you have mm. learning disability, as you say, you're much less likely to be in um, meaningful employment. And I, mm. I think, again, I think the employers are the ones that are really missing out as well. Yeah. Because, um, you know, my experience tells me that if you employ someone with a learning disability, it might take a bit longer to train them. 
conceivably, mm. might not, but it might. But they will be there that, that shouldn't for matter. so much. No, and they'll be there for so much longer, and they'll be loyal, and customers like it. You know, so I just think it's it's really employers who are missing out on a trick here. That you know, here is a a whole range of people with a whole range of different skills who mm. will be loyal, who are motivated, who want to work, who won't always be looking for the next promotion necessarily. They'll be giving all that they have to the job that they're doing. Um, and I just think it's a whole pool of talent that organisations like are missing you say, out on. You know, like a pyramid, for example, you know, start at the bottom. If it takes three months, six months, 12 months, it doesn't matter. Train them yeah. until they get right to the top of the pyramid. And then at that stage, if you feel confident enough to let them go, then you've helped them. You've got them to the top. You can let them carry on. And, you know, that don't don't sort of keep them at the bottom and just go oh you you're taking too much time just let them grow and just give them a chance to show what what they're capable of doing absolutely, um, absolutely. and also one thing i think the council needs to be clear on and i'm having personal problems with this myself is about how having a job would affect benefits because like i need to keep a roof over my head on it I need food to eat, and one minute I have got it, and the next minute I haven't, and then they're saying, oh, you're not well enough, so we'll take them Stop messing with my head yeah. and just let me have a life that I want to have. Society would be so much better off if every disabled person who can and wants to work is enabled to work, mm. so has the same opportunities as everybody else. And for those disabled people who genuinely can't work they need to have all the support that they need to live as an independent life as they possibly can and not keep haranguing them about oh you're well enough to work you're well enough to work mm. but actually if people aren't well enough to work then respect that and give them all the support they need yeah. but for disabled people who and you know our candidates at even break are desperate to work they're highly motivated mm. they really really want to work for all sorts of reasons and as you say it's not just about the money it's about feeling needed feeling as though you've got something of value to contribute um, and I just think society would be so much better. The benefit bill would be much lower, but it's not just about that. It's about people's no. health, about people's mental health, about all of society seeing that we're all different and that that's a good thing and valuing that difference, about hearing everybody's contribution because everybody's contribution is equally important. And I think as a society would grow, it's not just about you know the people who would directly benefit. I think we'd all indirectly benefit yeah and i think that's the thing they need they they need to work together and look at all angles of it you yeah, know yeah. you just want to be i hate the word i hate the word normal because no what's one normal is, what's normal exactly there is no normal it's just you need to help and, and nurture them and give them chance to grow and yeah. and and look back and go oh you know now that that person is running a company you know they're working with children or you know they've grown their own business from scratch you know because we've helped them that's what sh they should be thinking about not yeah. not looking at someone and going oh sorry we can't help you see you later you know it's not it's yeah, not just, right. yeah just consigning people to the scrap people almost mm, yeah i do think it's very much about i have been confined to that scrap heap quite a lot <laughs> you're climbing off it very well if you don't yeah. mind me saying so <laughs> um what should a disabled job seeker 
look for in an organisation that would give them confidence to apply for a job with them? Well, again, there are all sorts of things. The best thing is if you can look at an organisation and you can see that there are lots of disabled people working within it at different levels, within the, not just at the bottom level, but all, all through, that's a pretty good indication that they're going to take you seriously and they're going to nurture your talent. That's probably the best one. Others are things like, and I would say this, employers who advertise their jobs on a specialist job board like Evenbreak, they wouldn't pay the money to advertise their vacancies there if they weren't keen on uh, attracting that talent. Um, the government has a disability confident initiative, so some organisations have signed up to that. Doesn't mean a lot, to be honest, mm. but it does mean that at least they've got that on their agenda. Mm. So that might be, you know, a kind of indication, but you'd want, I think, further proof as well. Um, but I think it's also about making sure that the organisation um, values diversity as a whole. So mm. do you see people from different ethnic backgrounds, different genders, different sexual orientations, as well as people with disabilities? Because I think actually what you, what you need to know is that as an individual, you can work for that organisation mm. and you can be yourself and still be valued. You haven't got to pretend to be something else. Mm. And then they're few and far between. There aren't many employers are out, out there, I'm yeah, afraid. And I think, that. sadly, um, saying the word again, trust. You yeah. have to trust the organisation because, yeah. you know, like I said to you before in the previous statement, what good is, is taking someone who's got a disability and going, oh, yeah, have a look at the computer. They may not have the skills to know how, how a computer works, wh which site to go on. You know, actually help them. Yeah. You know, even if you go over, over your time and, and go, oh, next person, please. No, take time to make sure that they're confident, know what they're doing, so that if they are on their own and want to have a look, they they can go out there and, and have yeah. a look. But if you've not if you've not helped them, then they're not gonna know where to turn no, or, it's a bit or where like a, to go. Did you see to. the film I Daniel Blake? No. So that was very much similar to that. It was a man who'd become disabled, he'd had a stroke. And he was at the job centre and he was, you know, and they were saying, well, use a computer to look for jobs. He'd never used a computer in his life. And lots of people are in that situation. Mm. So it, it isn't good enough just to say, go and find jobs. Actually, no. as you say, people need different kinds of support in doing that. And actually, so do non-disabled people. Mm. It's not good enough just to say, go and do this. Actually, no. people do need a bit of direction, a bit of support. You know, and, and just, you know, I think it, it's almost like... I don't know why, but it's almost like an organisation want their wage packet, you know. It, it's like, oh, I've got so many of my books, yeah, you've helped them get into work. Yeah, you've helped them get into work, but you haven't helped the other people who are desperate in need of help yeah. and actually want the help. You haven't looked at them at all. You've gone, sorry, all oh, my wage packet is this, and yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, if you could... Give Minda Menkap one piece of advice on how to encourage disabled applicants to want to apply for jobs with them, what would it be? Well, I had a long conversation this morning with your CEO, Dave, and he has been telling me about all of the things that you do. And whilst um, <laughs> clearly Midland Menkap isn't perfect, like no organisation is perfect. Oh, good, I hope. Um, no, well, mm. he was telling me about what Menkap do, mm, mm. and um, or Midland Menkap do, and um, I think that the first bit of advice would be make sure that the candidates know that because it doesn't matter how good you are mm. internally 
if a disabled candidate doesn't know that, they're still not going to apply. So mm. it's about blowing your own trumpet and saying, we really do want to attract disabled candidates. Mm. But it's very much, I think, about what you've mentioned a couple of times now about trust. So I think Midland Mencap need to um, reassure candidates that actually we really do want your talent mm. and we really will meet your needs. And we now have an amazing new building that's very, very accessible. Mm. Um, and we want to employ a whole range of different people. So I think it's about um, blowing their trumpet about what they're already doing, but also doing things better and improving mm. and going mm. on a journey. And I feel that that's the journey that they're on. Yeah, I, I, I think so. <laughs> Um, and I, I, I also think that what would help them is always making sure that their target audience is accessible. Yeah. You know, even if it's getting um, posters out there or, you know, or, you know, things that are, you know, leaflets, you know. It's about communicating with yeah. people, isn't it? Saying we really want your talent. Yeah, it so is. I, th I think they're on that journey, and I think they've got some way to go, but I think it's a really exciting journey. Um, Even Brake's very happy to be part of it. And also, I think um, it, there needs to be a clear criteria um, for the job role in terms of, like, what qualifications do you need? Yeah. Because I think it would be a bit stressful if they say, oh, these are the qualifications you need. You turn up, and then, and then you, you go away disheartened because when you get there you look and you're thinking in your head I haven't got these and mm. and you walk out of the door because straight away you think oh I haven't got this that they're, they're not going to want to take a look at me yeah. and then you've gone sometimes before you've those, even those shown qualifications aren't relevant to the job that you're no. doing anyway so yes I think I think there'll be all sorts of things which is about looking at job descriptions looking about where you advertise looking at your recruitment process um, you know, making sure that it, that um, workplace adjustments are offered at any point in the recruitment process, all and sorts of things. Also, applicants' <coughs> process needs to be accessible all the time, yeah. not just one day of the week, every other month, accessible all of yeah, the time. Definitely. Oh, yeah, the processes need to be embedded so that they're there as part of the culture, definitely. Um what would your advice be for someone with a disability who has had a lot of job applications rejected? I think it's easy to become disheartened, mm. and I would too, and I can, I can absolutely understand why that's the case. But I think it's about recognising that the reason someone's been rejected isn't because there's anything wrong with them. Mm. It's because the employer hasn't yet re recognised that mm. talent comes in all different shapes and sizes. Mm. And my advice to any disabled applicant would be you know, be aware that you are a premium candidate, that you have a lot to offer over and above what non-disabled candidates have to offer because you have your life experience, all of those skills you've developed in overcoming barriers and obstacles. Um, so when you go to an employer, don't expect them to give you a job because they feel sorry for you. Mm. Make sure they understand that you are the premium candidate and that you bring so much with you. And it's about really trying to educate the employer and also to be aware of what's available that can help. So things mm. like access to work. So an employer might be concerned that, well, if I employ you, there's going to be all these costs. Mm. But if as a, as a candidate, you can say, I'm going to need, I don't know, a special monitor, but mm. access to work will pay for that, then that takes away that fear from the employer about this is going to be expensive. So know your rights, know what support's available, and know that you are a premium candidate and make sure that you make and, the employer And also, knows. I guess, to finish in that, don't if you like a company that you think you could be a part of, 
don't stop. If you have to hammer them, hammer them and yeah. prove to them that you're not going to go away and that you that you really want to work for them. Yeah. And that's that's what they want, you know. They want someone with a fire in their belly, someone that that really wants it. Absolutely, yeah. So it's about demonstrating what you could bring to the organisation time and time again until they finally realise, actually, we ought to be employing this person. Well, I guess, sadly, that comes to the end of this podcast. Um, I'd like to thank you personally. Thank you, um, my pleasure. Thanks, Binden Menkap, for letting me do this again, and we'll see you again soon. Thank you. Thank you.